Hello and welcome to Gaze Making. I am Grayson Hay, and we are here to talk to LGBTQIA creators about their art. And today I have Noelle uh, <laughs> Fredelius Fujimoto. I had to like process it for a second. She is a digital illustrator, graphic designer, and has recently been making dice. And so I am super excited to have her here to talk. So, awesome. Glad to be here. Thank you. So how are you doing, first of all? Good, good. Yeah, usual Tuesday, you know. <laughs> Yeah. In general, things are pretty good right now um, with work, which is great. That's it's a nice upswing. That's good. Yeah, I know you, that you've had some difficulties. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that <laughs> in the past. But, so it's good to hear that you're like you know that you're having good time at work. Mm -hmm. But we're not here to talk about work. We're here to talk about work and specifically <laughs> your art. So I'd love to hear just a little bit about like what you make and where your inspirations come from. Sure. Yeah. So like you said, I recently got into dice making. So that's the, the handmade dice making community. And that started back in March of last year. So I've really only been doing it for about a full year now, but I'm not new to resin art. So I'd actually started my first business back in 2012, which was a resin jewelry making business. Kind of cut my teeth on that, learned what to do, what not to do. It was a very good learning experience. And then I kind of got away from that for a while when I got back into digital art doing graphic design. And that is that has been my primary source of income for the past three years or so once I started in Graphica, which is my graphic design business, but really missed working with my hands and doing something physical, like a physical craft. And I discovered a critical role in D&D &D in 2019. And kind of like from there was like, oh, dice looks lucrative, it's cool, it's, you know, very creative, and it's in a field or community I'm already interested in. So it was a perfect fit. Yeah, and I've just kind of wheedled my way into that. And now it's what I'm doing full time, basically, is graphic design for that community. So I'm doing business logos and custom dice logos for people. And yeah, I've, that's just become my whole thing, which is great. Nice. So you're, so you're working entirely for yourself at this point. Yes. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the difficulties. Yeah. I, I ended up leaving my job last December due to some unfortunate opinions about me, you know, being an LGBTQ person, actually, it does relate to that. But yeah, I quit. And then I went full time self employed for the first time, which is exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> but it's yeah. been going really well. Yeah, that's that's awesome to hear that that it's going well and that I, I know that it can be scary. I know I've never made that jump to be entirely self-employed uh, mm -hmm. because it does, it scares me. And yeah, so I guess one of the things that I, one of the things that I want to know is other than obviously quitting your job in December, mm -hmm. what, what played into like the decision to go full-time and really dive into making dice and doing graphic design on your own? So it's kind of been a slow process. I originally went to school for museum studies and arts administration and had kind of seen myself as someone being in the arts, but as a supporter role in a corporate art world. And I, I was in that world for a very long time and then just kind of found that it was burning me out. It really wasn't as creative as I wanted it to be. And that was right around the time that I shifted gears um, and went into graphic design full-time and founded my own business on the side. But obviously, you know, going 
full-time freelance is it's a shaky risk to take so until recently I had been doing like a full-time job and then stuff on the weekends or on the side but yeah I think it's it's just been like a slow realization over the past few years that this is really what I want to do it's much more fulfilling you know I can definitely operate in the nine to five corporate world but it just is not fulfilling and as an artist I'm sure many other artists can relate to the like I'm not a morning person I stay up till 2 a.m and I reach my like creative peak at 10 p.m and you can't do that when you work in a corporate office so this is much more feasible for me and feeds into my creativity much better too. Nice. Yeah. I think that, I think that's great. Like it's, it's good to hear that you're, you know, you've, you've dove in and, and that it's, it's working for you. So I, one of the things like you, you said that you were, you know, you worked at a museum for a while or within museum. One of the things that I do whenever I need to refresh my creative pool and just kind of like creative energy is I go to museums to just take in other people's art and just kind of experience and be in that uh, environment because it very much is like refreshing, right? Or re-energizing. Do you have any rituals that are kind of associated with like refreshing your creative pool whenever you're feeling like it's, you know, reaching its its low points? Yeah, I I try to find inspiration really wherever I can. For the dice making specifically, I've been very inspired by characters and like I I'm a writer as well as a visual artist, but I haven't really published anything. It's more, it's, I do it for myself, but you know, I'm also a D&D player. I've been role-playing and LARPing since I was like in middle school. So that has been my recent inspiration is just hearing about other people's worlds and characters and kind of using that as my inspiration. I'll also go on walks. I have a great park across the street from where I live, um, just looking at different color combinations in nature I'll I don't know like I'll spend hours on Pinterest just looking at aesthetic photos or whatever I try to pull from everywhere but yeah the the character stuff has probably been the most inspirational recently for the the dice stuff oh nice and so do you do you do commissions for people for their character or do you um base it or yeah or do you base it off of just like characters that you like from things like critical role um, so it's been a combination. I actually have not made any dice inspired by Critical Role yet, but I know many people that do. It has been half and half. So I haven't officially opened up for commissions yet, but it's something that I want to do soon. I have done a couple giveaway sets for people that have been based on characters. And the nice thing about those is that there's kind of this like collaboration between me and the player and obviously anyone who has a character is like super invested in them and has like you know it's hard to get someone to stop talking about their their character so I I just get fed all this great stuff and then you know they'll tell me anything from like you know their favorite color to a secret about their character's past and I can pull from anything and work with them to find something that you know says a lot about that that character as far as other inspirations outside of that I've pulled a few from books that I like but actually it's mostly been just like that kind of collaborative thing and yeah I'm hoping to open up for commissions maybe in the next month or two (laughs) nice nice yeah so that's that's awesome at the end of the show we'll have you like 
give all of your details about like where you can where people can find you and this is going to release first week of june i think so it might be yeah so we'll make sure we, we we let you plug at the end but yeah so let's just talk about what's your favorite dice that you've created oh, and gosh. what was it based off of that is a really hard question for any anime dice maker. It's like asking who is your favorite child. Yeah, I the one that comes to mind the most actually is one that I've been trying to perfect that. So there's like two two different reasons why I really love this set that I created and I called it Autumn Fog. Basically, it is little pieces of preserved maple leaves with gold leaf that I've suspended in a semi like a uh, milky resin. So it does look like, you know, leaves falling in, in fog. That set means a lot to me because a, the, the leaves were part of a floral arrangement that a friend sent me on a really, really bad day. <laughs> And it was a complete surprise. Like they had, they were going to send it anyway. They didn't know I was having a bad day. It just worked out that way. So that I think of that every time I use them. And then also it, I actually did pull from my own D&D character for that set. There's a play in Aladrin. So it's an elf race that's based on the seasons very heavily. And Autumn plays into his backstory quite a bit and has a lot of meaning. So, and it's also my favorite season. So I think that's, that's the favorite one, I guess, for the moment. Okay. I, I mean, I definitely agree with you that autumn is the best season, especially especially here. Yeah, because you're you're also based in the Seattle area, correct? Yes. Yeah, I'm from upstate New York, though, and that oh, the season in upstate New York is great. I I hear that. I have never I haven't actually been to the East Coast during autumn, but yeah, it's it's on my like bucket list of places to go when we can travel again. Uh, and yes. luckily we'll be able to travel probably in autumn and I have a ton of airline miles saved up. Um, oh, nice. So I plan to to travel quite a bit. Yeah. So if we can get into something that's maybe a little bit more of a sensitive topic, just because you you did mention that your last job you quit because it's you know there were issues with the mm-hmm. you know with being L- part of the LGBTQIA community. And so one of the things that I it's kind of a two part question: How does being queer, uh, being part of the LGBTQIA community, influence your work? both the graphic design as well as the the dice making. And then like, what do you do to keep creating when the world is so hostile? Mm, two good questions. How it relates, uh, like how being queer works into my art is probably less visible on a surface level. But I can tell you the, the handmade dice making community, there is it's it's huge there's like queer people everywhere <laughs> it's great and i think my art kind of i my queerness comes out in the community more than in the actual art itself for sure but in some ways it, it also does appear in the art because you can create things that kind of tear down boundaries of like what somebody should be or etc like the nice thing is that D in general that community tends to be very open to LGBTQIA um, because you know you're already believing in magic and orcs and whatever like someone being gay or whatever is not a, a terrible stretch of the imagination at that point 
And it's generally very open, I have found at least. So yeah, I think for me, the queerness is, it's just an identity that I can connect with other makers on. And I have found that there's a really great support system within the community for, for us. The second question, I guess I would say I kind of use art as a way to push back. And that's, again, maybe not as visible. It's hard because DICE is amorphous in some ways, like the way that I'm translating things into a single little object through the writing that I do. And again, that is more for myself, but I mean, I, I continuously play different sexualities or gen like my, my character currently is male and is bisexual. And I have other characters who span everything from asexual to know questioning and part of their story is coming out and it's for me that's where it comes out more often it's kind of like me playing with my own identity as i learn about it through these characters which is cool nice nice yeah i think that that's that's really inspirational just to be able to to explore things with your art even if it's either indirect or through mm -hmm. things like your writing or the characters that you create so i actually i'd like to to hear more about your dd character oh, sure, uh, um yeah so you're you're is the the one that you were just describing who's mm -hmm. male bisexual and and i think you said an elf a Eladrian. specific type of elf Eladrian. Yes. i'm not, actually not familiar with that with that race inside of D D. could you just Maybe say a little bit more about that. Sure. Yeah. So Eladrin is a subrace of elves within the D&D &D world. And I think that they came out as they currently are in canon in 5e. So very with the most recent edition. And they had been like a, a monster creature that you could fight in previous editions. But now you can play them, which is cool. The basic premise is that elves in canon are fairly related to fae, or they all have fae ancestry. And a bunch of them stayed within the Feywild, the realm of fairy. And through whatever means, eventually developed this strange connection to the seasons. So they're kind of like elves, steroids in a way, like as far as like, it's just, they're just so much extra. They're very extra. <laughs> which is why I like playing them but they have features that reflect each of those seasons so there's like okay. four different forms they'll have leaves in their hair like their skin is bright gold or blue and I normally don't actually play uh fairy creatures or any kind of creature that is that flamboyant but I've had a lot of fun with this one because in our home game we actually have homebrewed it a little different from in canon where the seasons basically relate to the emotions of the character. And so one of my deepest, darkest wishes is, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great if I could change my body anytime I wanted? Because some days I feel like one way and some days I feel another way. And I can kind of play with that with this character because even though he's, he's male and has a male body, his physical features will constantly change depending on his mood. And that's kind of, I guess, me living vicariously <laughs> through, through this character. But yeah. Nice. So as an, just to kind of give any, uh, give, or have you give an example of like how his appearance shifts based on his mood? Like, so if he's like angry, what, what would happen just out of curiosity? Uh, yeah. So actually that is his, his resting state, his anger management problems, but yeah, he is, he's what they would call a summer Eladrin. And so what I have written for him, it's a little toned down from the canon stuff because I thought it was a little too extra, but for him, 
basically his eyes are gold and will flare up and kind of glow like fire if he's getting upset. He's got coals beneath his hair, so like it almost looks like embers or sparks flying up through his hair. And then say he's like getting or or something that is making him very happy for instance if he's having a really good experience or is in love or something that would shift into spring then and then for that I have like little flowers popping up in his hair it's a lot of stuff that happens in his hair apparently but yeah the size will change color a little bit to be a little softer like more femme I suppose and yeah kind of shifts from there nice yeah, that that sounds like a super cool character. A lot of fun. It's it's never a dull moment for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually playing a changeling right now in my oh, D and D yeah. campaign. So, but I I fail to actually change form enough just because like in the world that we're uh, living in, the changelings are very very uh, distrusted. So he's very he's very careful, but he's part of a blood blood sex cult, which is kind of awesome. Oh jeez, um, <laughs> I need to hear more about this now. <laughs> Imagine the um, set of dice based on this character. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Actually, the reason I asked about the the inspiration is because I'm probably going to hit you up for some dice. Since we'll probably Please. my entire like game group is going to be vaccinated soon within the next month or two. Um, so maybe I'll be your first commission Let's once see. you open up. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, just I guess a couple of other questions. Like I know for me, I am definitely one of the kind of artists where I listen to inspiration and I only work when I have inspiration or that drive, mostly because mm-hmm. I'm ADHD, but same. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's obviously two sides of that. There's the people who work when inspiration hits and the people who work every day, they just put in the time, you know, they knock out the resistance like uh, Stephen Pressfield says, or they have developed a creative habit like Twyla mm-hmm. Thorpe. What would you say you are? Mm, that's good. A good question. Also, being ADHD, (laughs) or at least most probably I'm still getting that looked into. I do find myself more on the scale of I work when the inspiration hits. The nice thing is that there's just so much inspiration that I don't have too many lulls. If I do, it's it's usually more just like a burnout thing because I'm too busy doing other stuff and I'm not devoting enough time to my art. In which case, then I have to just reevaluate and shift gears. But as as both like dice creation, dice creator, and uh, a graphic designer, if I am losing inspiration in one of them, I can always shift to the other, which is nice. And that does that does happen. So I'm pretty much always creating. It just shifts from what type of creating I'm doing. That makes sense. So with with the resin work of the dice, is there a lot of downtime, like waiting for the the dice cure? Mm-hmm. How, how do you how do you handle that? Do you just have like a ton of them going at any given time or like, what's that like? Yeah. So the, <laughs> anything with resin takes a long time. So as I'm pouring a set, kind of designing what it will look like in, in the cup as I'm mixing takes up to an hour and then it takes about 24 hours in a pressure pot which is basically just pushing all the bubbles out of it from there it can take anywhere from one to three weeks for the dice to completely off gas and fully cure then you have the sanding and polishing process and then the inking process and then they're done so it takes about a month to make a full set of dice if i'm working quickly and as far as like how many i'm creating for me lately the dice has kind of taken a little bit of a backseat just because i'm doing a lot of 
graphic work for a Dice mm -hmm. Kickstarter at the moment, so I've been focused on that. But normally, I've got at least one thing in the pot a day, and that could be dice. It could also be something else. I do dice trays. I do other trinkets. Yeah, there's nothing in there right now, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, usually, usually I try to get at least one thing in there a day, just so that I'm I'm producing, even if it's just like, hey, I have nothing better to do than just like, I don't know, pick a random color and throw it in there. At least I'm making something. And oftentimes some of the, the best pieces I've made have come out of those just like, I don't know what I'm doing moments and just throwing random stuff in. And then sometimes if I'm planning a set, it won't come out at all like what I thought. So it's hmm. interesting medium to work in. Yeah. What's been the biggest challenge of switching like from you know, the resin jewelry making to mm -hmm. dice. It's just the nature of the the end product, I think, because dice are a precise instrument. They're more of a tool than an art piece, but they can be both, obviously. And obviously, when you're using something like dice, you want them to be going to go balanced. You know, it's, it's a perfect polyhedral. And so by that nature, trying to keep them perfectly symmetrical on all sides as you're doing this is difficult because your mold can warp and then when you're sanding them you might you know just sand a little too far and then something something goes off the kickstarter i'm i'm currently working on is helping with that like it's it's for a dice mold kickstarter but yeah that's probably the biggest challenge and then also trying to fit everything you want into a tiny little piece of resin is also hard not everything i want to put in dice fits in dice <laughs> That's that's a bigger problem. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's probably the the biggest challenges. One one thing I will say, I'm grateful for the first time with jewelry is I, I got all of my like oh, I'm just gonna buy everything I can possibly get my hands on mistake out out the gate early, <laughs> and so I have not made that mistake this time. And I actually came into dice making already knowing what resin I was going to use, what inclusions I wanted what I did not need. And so that's been a, a blessing in disguise, I suppose. Mistakes early <laughs> led to better choices now. That's good. Yeah. I think we learn a lot from our mistakes. What's the what's the most impractical thing you tried to fit into a dice? Or into oh, a die? Gosh. Most impractical or weirdest? I don't know. Most Either. impractical <laughs> Either. Most impractical is probably I have these little resin 3d printed skulls that are basically like just really cool but way too big to fit in and I, I ended up cramming one into a mold once and I ruined the mold because it oh. just it was just not gonna fit but I've also put some other things in like I have snakeskin shed that I have put into a set for someone's naga character like snake nice. person flowers I do a lot of floral stuff and that can be impractical because with florals, you have to really make sure that they're perfectly dry before they go in or they rot mm. in the resin. So it's just, Makes sense. It's, that's more difficult. I have dead bees that sitting around and spiders that I can put in dice. I just have not done it yet. <laughs> All right. I think, that, yeah. I think the rotting flowers could be an interesting take on like necromancy set or something uh, where you purposefully let the, the flowers rot. That would be interesting. Know. Huh, I might have to try that. I actually have a set where the moss is getting kind of weird. Hmm. So hmm. Well, I might nice. play with that. Thank you. 
course. I'm always here to to give inspiration on, or or random ideas. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. Um, I love it because it's just where my brain goes. I'm like, ooh, dead rotting flowers. That sounds like it would be great on the inside of a die. Because I also like the idea of it changing over time. Like, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. So I, I think we're at a good um, stopping point. And so I would like you to well, I. I Two questions before we before we head out. So one, where can people find you online? And then two, what is one last thing that you want to tell the audience? Oh, gosh. Well, you can find me online. I finally have my own website. It's arcanumdice.com. And it's arcanum, A-R-C-A-N-U-M, arcanum dice. And that is the uh, username for all of the social as well. So I am primarily active on Instagram, though I do have a Facebook and a um, Twitter account. I just kind of push there. So if anyone's interested in interacting with me or really seeing what I'm doing day to day, I will show stories of like, you know, in-progress works and things on Instagram primarily. Yeah. And as far as what I would like to tell the audience, for people who are listening who are makers or aspiring makers, I can tell you to don't don't give up on something, even if you don't have a ton of experience or a degree in said thing. I took one graphic design course in college, period. And now it is my full-time job. Like I just taught myself everything through hard work. And yeah, you can do it too. I, I have a lot of I know a lot of people in the arts communities who give up early or get the imposter syndrome thing. And I'm here to say you can do it, (laughs) I guess. My inspirational speech for today. Well, that's definitely a good way to end in the episode. I will put all of the links and in the in the show notes, so you can find all the information about this episode at gazemaking.com slash one hundred two. And yeah, thank you so much, Noelle. This was a pleasure, and it's good to see you again because it's yeah, been a while. Because I have not been going to taco class. Goodbye. <laughs> okay, well, then I don't feel so bad. The um, quarantine kind of drained. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're not being social, but Yeah. I I get that. I'm kind of same way. But yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, Gaze Making, you can find us online at gazemaking.com. The on Instagram and Twitter, we are Gaze Making Pod. We don't do Facebook. So until next time, thank you so much and we will see you later. Bye. Gaze Making is a Party Fish Media podcast, hosted and produced by Grayson Hay. Intro and outro music by Curtis Skinner. Party Fish Media Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliot Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.